All right, coming to you live from Atlanta and Chicago area. It's the Movie Change Up podcast, specifically our Disney Plus weekly review, where each week we kind of break down uh, some of the episodes or movies that dropped this week on Disney Plus. It's, you know, our June 26, 2021 episode. Uh, we had an episode of Loki, an episode of The Bad Batch, and because Monsters at Work comes out next week or the week after, we're going to talk about Monsters, Inc., uh, because there weren't any really any movie drops this week, and we always kind of like to talk about at least one movie, so we decided to talk about Monsters, Inc. Uh, Tristan, uh, what were your overall thoughts for uh, Disney Plus this week? It felt like a lot of episodes dealing with backstory and a lot of, you know, information dump episodes. Yeah, a lot of, okay, let's slow down for a second and explain what's going on to people. <laughs> but I kind of liked it. I think Bad Batch was a bit better than Loki for me. I think Loki was a more significant step down, but we'll talk about that. I still thought both were really good episodes, but I was really impressed by Bad Batch. I was a bit let down by Loki, and I'm really, really excited to talk about Monsters, Inc. And I want to talk for a second at the end, too, about what I think might be the best show on TV right now, but I'll say Superman that Superman and Lois? We'll see. Right. I'll get there. Uh, well, for me, it's Superman and Lois. <laughs> Even though this is not a CW discussion, Superman and Lois is the show I'm hyped about most right now. Besides uh, Sexy Beasts, which is coming to Netflix, which looks incredible. If you haven't seen the trailer for Sexy Beasts, definitely check that out if you're a fan of trash reality television. But all right, uh, let's start with Loki. The episode was called Lamentous. Uh, Tristan, you're usually our note taker. What you want? We want to do just to kind of. What were your kind of general thoughts, I guess, on Lamentus? I thought it was an interesting turn for the show. I thought for sure we'd go through this portal and go to some crazy, uh, like multiverse version of the of the MCU. Maybe we'd see some weird version of Loki or something like that. But then we went through the portal and we got to Doctor Who, and it was this weird, like, sci-fi adventure story from the writers of Rick and Morty in the world of the MCU. And I thought it was a fun ride but a little bit of anxiety is coming up now we only got like four episodes left in, at this point and i think maybe we t- might have slowed down a little bit too much in this episode uh, i think we i think after this episode we only have three left so that might crank up your anxiety that's even, even worse you know guys, I, think, I think there's six that. episodes total so um it feels like every mcu show they're waiting for like oh there's that secret episode though like mm-hmm. kevin Feige said seven hours so it's gonna be another episode of wandavision and then he's like oh no i was being i was speaking generally guys <laughs> yeah i know uh i think it was tom hiddleston said these next two episodes of loki get crazy and completely change what the show is so i'm curious to see how that works out uh but yeah after last episode i fully expected them to go through a time portal and wind up in like this weird thing and i think that at first they end up back at the tva like i think mm-hmm. when Loki walks through that portal they go back to the tva and then they end up on the moon lamentus but yeah, yeah but... when they first we'll get to that but yeah i thought i was, I was about just... to get some thoughts but i'm gonna save it till we get to the scene <laughs> I, I thought it was a fun episode yeah i enjoyed it uh i really like it was like we talked about a minute ago it was definitely an exposition heavy episode but in a way that worked and made sense and didn't just feel like an exposition dump <laughs> Mm-hmm. If you're ready, I'm ready to get to the plot. All right, yeah, let's break it down. We open up, of course, with the Marvel titles. I like to note that every time because it feels very cinematic. I always get kind of chills when I'm like, wow, I'm really watching Marvel on TV right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get right into Sylvie. We see, it seems for a second like oh, she's out with her 
like a friend is just kind of a flashback to showing what's happening with Sylvia. That was what I was thinking for a moment. And then, of course, I recognized that she was out with the agent from the TVA, and this was some kind of mental interrogation and enchantment, if you will, where she was using this memory from the TVA agent to extract information about the timekeepers. What did you think of this interesting, trippy kind of opening? Yeah, I thought it was really cool, kind of an interesting new way to do things with the whole like tapping into someone's memory like that. I really liked that. I really liked her explanation too of like she goes in and like grabs their mind and I thought that was kind of a cool explanation and I like the opening where they go at the bar and she asks her a question. She doesn't quite get the answer she wants or like the person is tipped off so then she changes things like a little bit and you could it almost felt like a dream. Like you're it mm-hmm. reminded me a little bit of Inception where they're talking and then uh, Cobb asks uh, Elliot Page's character, like, oh, how did we get here? And then that's mm-hmm. when she starts to break down and realize, and realize like, something is off. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, I like that time loop thing. I'm a sucker for time loops. Uh, I was almost theorizing Loki would be a time loop show, but we've gotten too far for a loop at this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a little much. But all right, uh, we get those Loki titles, and then, like you said, we're back at the TVA. This portal that took take us anywhere just takes us back to where we just were before. <laughs> but we get some cool action here. So uh, Sylvie arrives and kind of fights these guards really intensely and uses their kind of like eraser stick things. I don't know what you call them. <laughs> yeah. But she batons them into non-existence. And there's a kind of cool action scene right there. And, of course, Loki kind of arrives after that and is a little bit confused. So what do you think of this opening sequence here? Yeah, I thought it was fun and good action moment of sylvie versus those guards kind of feel bad for the guards when you find out later on what they what they are but yeah they're they're being erased from existence at this point that is pretty intense and i think we see even compared to the loki that we're seeing now like this is a a brutal version of loki like even from the opening sequence we've seen like oh these are powers that we haven't really seen loki been able to master yeah and this is like a kind of of violence we haven't even seen from Loki, so I think it's establishing the dynamics really interestingly from the from the very beginning. Yeah, for sure. And they get this kind of banter once Loki and Sylvie reunite, where uh, he's saying like, "Are you sure you're Loki? And can we really work together?" And they have this kind of quickly budding relationship where they're they're budding heads, but you can tell they're going on a path towards, if not friendship, at least acquaintanceship. Like they're going to be partners in crime at, at, by the end of the episode. And we get that arc through the episode here. But what do you think yeah. of their first uh, interaction here is they kind of, for the first time decide, okay, maybe we'll work together and they get in that fight and Loki grabs her time travel thing and kind of zaps them into this, into this different portal. Yeah. I really like it. They're slowly starting to learn about each other and figure out, you know, each other's backstory, which I think will lean into my, theory later on for what i think the future of the show is it's hard for me because i only watched it once and it was a couple days ago to remember exactly like what conversation was when but i I really kind of like the whole dynamic and figuring out what makes her loki different than his loki yeah they kind of build the dynamic over the course of the episode so i feel like we'll get to that like towards the end when they kind of give us the full scope of that yeah but yeah i thought this was a cool scene i I like the action at the beginning like you said and i think from the very beginning, we get a cool dynamic between these two characters. I think when you're replacing Owen Wilson with an actress that we don't really know very well, you have big shoes to fill. So I kind of felt like, oh, I wish it doesn't have the same level of spicy, like, yeah. <laughs> great top tier performing that I get out of Owen Wilson performances. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't it wasn't as gripping as that, but I'm really curious to see how their relationship grows and 
I'm also, I also thought it was kind of cool that Renslayer shows up for an action scene, but yeah, what were you going to say? I'm also sad uh, the showrunner of Loki said we're not going to get uh, an Owen Wilson iconic wow in this series. Oh, I did. I saw that. I was very ready for it. I thought for sure that if any show would give him that meta line, it would have to be Loki, but... Yeah, especially... I mean, there's. I mean, we might... Uh, I'll bring it up, because if you're watching our review, I, I assume you've seen Loki. Uh, when it's... And we can talk about it more when we get to that moment in the show, but when it's revealed to uh, Mo- Mobius M. Mobius that he is a variant and that he wasn't created by the Timekeepers, that would have been the perfect moment for him to drop the iconic. Wow... That's all I'll say. My idea for the Owen Wilson Wow was going to be in the finale, uh, Mobius was going to finally get a chance. He's going to walk to a dock and see a jet ski signed from Loki, and he'll be like, oh, wow. Yeah, that, that would be <laughs> good, too. But, yeah, unfortunately, he's not even in the episode uh, <laughs> because they've gone they – they were in the TVA for a second, but not long enough to see our boy Mobius. I guess Owen Wilson didn't sign for that many episodes because Loki and – I'm going to call her Sylvie, is going through a portal into a planet, Lamentus 1, Cyberpunk 2077. They picked the year on purpose, I'm sure. In an apocalyptic event, uh, like we established last episode, she's hiding out in these apocalyptic events, and Loki kind of teleports her into a very chaotic one where the moon is about to crash into a planet. It's this very big sci-fi plot, and they have about 12 hours to get onto a ship to get out. That's kind of the premise of the episode. What do you think of this direction for the show to take here. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. It gives us cool visuals. I was hoping for more of, like, an interesting world, I guess, than just, like, a simple, like, outer space type of thing that I could see in, like, any other futuristic-type show. I thought with, you know, someone that worked on Rick and Morty and the whole budget and dynamic of the MCU, I was hoping for something, I think, a little bit more crazy and chaotic than just, like, oh, the planet's crashing into this moon and we gotta get out. I was hoping for, like, this crazy, weird, alien, like, world. And it was just kind of generic (laughs) sci-fi. Yeah, I mentioned Doctor Who because it feels like Doctor Who, like they're on this very limited budget. So they're like, okay, they're on a base and the base is exploding into the moon and they are got a couple hours and they got to figure it out. It feels like that kind of a premise yeah. where it's like, okay, throw them into this low budget, kind of talk your way out of it at the last second situation. Uh, it fits for the Rick and Morty writers. That's kind of a, a, I don't know what you call it, a structure that you use a lot in that show. But yeah, I think it does feel kind of limited. I think the sets feel kind of limited. I, I would like to know if this was intentional, if they were going for like, oh, we're going to make a B-movie episode, and then I can kind of give them credit, like, oh, you pulled off like the low-budget aesthetic of the sets. <laughs> but if that wasn't what they were going for, then I think some yeah. of the some of these sets looked a little bit weak. Yeah, it could have been, it could have been better. That's all I'll say. I, I loved all the conversation. I loved all the dynamic between Sylvie and Loki in this episode, but just kind of the whole the reason that's making that planet apocalyptic, or I guess that moon apocalyptic is was just lacking for me. Yep, and I want to mention, uh, yeah, we'll get to that Loki-Sylvie dynamic uh, in a second here because uh, we get, I don't know what you'd call it, an interesting scene between Loki and Sylvie here. I think we're really starting to bond them. Uh, but I wanted to point out that Sylvie has this line right here where she says, she mentions like, oh, nobody makes it out of this apocalyptic event. It's like one of the worst ones, and it applied to me like, Maybe there's a bunch of variants who are surviving on the edge, like a bunch of people who are like traveling along to these apocalyptic events, and it's not just her. It's not a bunch of Lokis, maybe a bunch of 
other variants who are living on the edge of survival here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that could be interesting if there's a, another one they go to, or maybe uh, we'll see more of the people in this one if there's a place, like a hidden place where variants hang out. It would be kind of interesting to see. Mm -hmm. And here we get, uh, I think, the more interesting Loki and Sylvie scenes when they come upon, they come upon this uh, woman in, in, the, in a shack, and Sylvie, and they had this short conversation where Loki's like, oh, you gotta be checked, you gotta be cunning, and Sylvie's kind of like the gung-ho, going for it kind of Loki, and she walks up to the door and bangs on it, and immediately gets shot away by this big gravity gun type thing. Oh, yeah. That, that was a great <laughs> moment. And then Loki, of course, thinking he's so much smarter than everybody else, uh, sees a, a picture of her husband and impersonates her husband and walks in and tries to talk his way out of it, and, of course... She doesn't buy that at all because her husband was an asshole and he hasn't <laughs> been there for how many years. And she shoots him again with the gravity gun and he goes flying back and they both kind of failed. And I think that was a fun moment for them to kind of both see that, okay, we don't know what we're doing. And we've been talking big game, but both of us are kind of bad at this. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to see them both fail in different ways. Yeah, I think that was the first big uh, bonding moment for them. They kind of even shared like a little, a little giggle together. <laughs> And then we also get this scene where she's she starts trying to sort of enchant him. And yeah, let me see. Yeah, I like that where Gashi, but he's it, it reminded me of the Star Wars thing of a Jedi mind trick, but and Obi Wan's like, oh, it only works on the weak minded. And Loki's, <laughs> and Loki's like, just I'm like, I'm too big brained. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a very. I don't know what direction to be going on this podcast, Joe, but I'm feeling a, a sexual tension vibe between these two characters. Okay. Yeah, for people that are essentially the same person, like, is this incest or masturbation if they fuck? <laughs> That's what I want to know. And are they even the same person? Because they're making it pretty obvious that, or they're, like, being very on the nose, like, are you really a Loki? And she's saying, oh, I'm not Loki now, I'm now Enchantress, and, and maybe they're not even the same person. I don't know, they have a shared history, but I'm very, I'm very... Curious where they're yeah, it could be go, a situation. It could be a situation of in her timeline of wherever she's from, Odin. Because I mean, Loki was adopted by Odin, right? So she could mm -hmm. maybe be adopted from a different place. Like uh, Loki, I think was the part of like part frost giant and adopted by Odin. Maybe you know her character was adopted from like witches or something, and so she's just adapted from a different source named Loki. And, you know, they're not even, like, the same thing. It's not even like, oh, she's, like, from a timeline where the men are women and the women are men, and she's just a female Loki. It's like she could be a completely different thing. Yeah, I'm curious, because I almost got a little bit of, like, maybe trans vibes or gender fluid vibes from the character, because she mentioned, like, he called her Loki, and she says, oh, don't call me that. I'm not Loki anymore. I'm Sylvie now. Like, that that kind of line implies to me like oh maybe there's a history of like yeah. oh she was born assigned assigned male at birth and eventually decided to yeah. literally transform her body into into her female form and that would have been an interesting origin story i'm sure they won't dive into that deeply we'll get even more to that ironically later on but it's an it's a interestingly progressive move for marvel this episode as a whole and there was the whole thing of when loki was checked in in the first episode that his gender I think was assigned like gender fluid or something like that yeah and I think that is definitely what I got from the Sylvie vibes here especially the actress mentioned some stuff on on, on Twitter of course that's like metatextual but 
I think she reads the characters that. Well, let me get past that uh, line here. Uh, they're looking for power. Now they got to kind of power up her very almost Star Wars vibes, even like it was very sci fi in this episode. But they find this train to train out of this exploding planet, like a very Snowpiercer premise where they're like, oh, the rich get out and the poor don't. We got to sneak away onto this train to get off of this planet at the last second because our transponder teleporter thing is dead. So we got to get off or legit. It? Or is it? It is lucky it's playing games. Who knows? But I, I want to get your thoughts on this Snowpiercer premise. They're really mashing a bunch of sci-fi stuff together in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's like Western, but also like modern. And it, I, I like the vibe of it, of like, oh, there's this train and we got to get on this train because it has the power we need to recharge our, you know, basically our time machine, which mm-hmm. also you could argue is a little bit of Back to the Future 3 vibes. and Very true. There's a lot thrown into the episode, and I mentioned Rick and Morty a lot this episode, but this feels very much Rick and Morty. The first two didn't feel like that at all, really, but this feels like a Rick and Morty episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like that, and, you know, I like, again, their whole different aspect, or different ways to get on the train, where Loki just impersonates one of the, one of the, Mm -hmm. like, guards, essentially, and gets her on. Yeah, once again, we get that kind of conflict where Sylvie tried her way at the shack, and Loki says, okay, I'm going to try my, my Loki way. And it almost works for him, but of course, Sylvie has to do a little magic herself to get them on at the end. Uh, first time I think we've seen them actually work together together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think this is a more interesting visually location. Like, this train is much more interesting than where they just were at in this, like, ramshag mining cart thing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like a $10 set. And this one feels like, okay, they spent like a few thousand on this green screen here. Yeah, I was definitely getting some like Last Jedi Canto Bite vibes from inside that train. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the, definitely the scene to talk about when we get this conversation, the sit-down conversation between Loki and Sylvie. I have a little bit of a breakdown here. Uh, we can get into more detail, though. But Loki mentions he was adopted and... Sylvie kind of pauses for a second, and he says, oh, is that like a spoiler for you? And and she says, oh, no, I, I always knew that. They didn't keep that from me at all. That was just a thing that I knew. And that's a pretty divergent moment. I think Loki yeah. felt very betrayed in that moment when he found out that his father had his, uh, hid that from him his whole life, and that's kind of a defining moment for him and his character. Yeah. And, like, it, I kind of like their, they were, like, it shows how good, like, the writing and the performances is, where you see, like, the differences in their background without them ever expressly saying it. Like, it's very clear that Sylvie's mom just never existed or mm-hmm. died early in her life or just wasn't around early in her life because when she asked him, oh, how'd you learn magic? And Loki's like, oh, my mother taught me. And Sylvie basically kind of had this somber, sad look, and she's like, oh, I had to teach myself. Yeah, Loki has these very fond memories of his mother, and he, he kind of goes on a little bit talking to Sylvie, and I, I assume it was an emotionally honest moment from Loki where we get, like, he really felt for his mother. He felt like she was a good person, and he really cared about her, and you can tell her hurt because he now knows that she died and in a, in a very direct way. It was his fault, and he didn't even yeah. know. He, like, he, this Loki didn't do that, but he knows that he did, you know, in, in a way. Yeah, like in the I future, think that's a very you know. complex emotional dynamic to portray. And I think Tom Hiddleston is really impressing me on this show that he can portray so much of that complex thought. 
Yeah, definitely. Like it, it's kind of it, it's kind of like this interesting dynamic of like you didn't kill your mom, but you watched a video of you killing her in the future, but it's not really your future anymore. It's a different alternate future. Like it's definitely still gonna mess you up. Yeah, and you want to say like, oh, I wouldn't do that, but you know that you would. You know, like you know that if you stayed upon the path you were on, that's what you would have done. You yeah. know. Yeah, he basically was there when his dad died. He you know helped facilitate his mom's death, and then he ultimately like died by Thanos. To get, uh, I think, the theme of the episode, or the theme of, might even be a theme of the series in this relationship here is what love means, and Loki kind of says maybe love is hate, or is it is it mischief, or later is it a reflective fake knife, or maybe it's just something that I need a few more drinks here to talk about, but I think that's very complex and interesting. Loki loved his mother, and yet he fought against her wishes and Loki I think we see that he loved Asgard but he fought for the destruction of Asgard and I think Loki loves his brother but he fights against his brother and I think that's really fascinating and they really dive into Loki's character in this episode and in this series in a way that I didn't I didn't see much out of Loki I was like oh he's just the Tom Hiddleston British bad guy and he was good in the first Thor and he kind of slowly but surely lost his luster for me and I think this is bringing a lot of it back in them really liking this dynamic already yeah i'm liking a lot of what i'm seeing from what loki was never a character that i really cared about at all and it's definitely making me enjoy the character more and the more nuances of the character and now we get what i think is going to be the debate of the episode loki and sylvie have this moment and they connect and sylvie takes a little nap she wakes up and loki is real drunk and he's singing an Asgardian tune, dancing around with the locals, totally giving himself away. Uh, and my question here comes in, is Loki is Loki legit drunk? Well, I don't want to skip over some establishing moments here. I want to get a second here. Of course, the scene of the episode, Loki is bi, I assume, or pansexual in some way, because he mentions they have, oh, is there a prince or a princess maybe in your past? And Loki pauses for a second and says, oh, a little bit of both. I assume the same as you and she kind of confirms that so i think it's a interesting confirmation loki in the comics has been a pansexual character for a while and i believe now they're the mcu version of loki seems to be either bi or some form of yeah. pansexual some kind of well, it's <laughs> not it's, not heterosexual it shouldn't be surprising because in north norse mythology and in marvel mythology the wolf from well, at least Marvel Comics mythology and Norse mythology. The wolf from, like, the giant wolf that is Hela's pet in Ragnarok is Loki's son. So, Loki will, you know, is attracted to and will fuck anything. So, the fact that he's, like, pansexual or bisexual or anything, not that surprising. No, and I think it's fun. Uh, Disney as a whole has been, like weirdly resistant in including uh, any any not straight people at all in their in their movies like they'll be like oh this is a, a very queer moment and then it's like a background shot of the guy in beauty and the beast like dancing with another guy or there's like these very very vaguely queer mm-hmm. things in their movies or yeah, queer coded villains in the in the animated shows and i think this is a very big step forward for disney even if it's not that big of a step forward like it's oh one of their characters is by once <laughs> yeah. but it's like for disney that's a lot okay yeah for sure 
Let me get back to the notes there, but uh, that's that's definitely some people are talking about, especially during Pride Month. It feels very yeah. timed. I think that they were like, "Oh, it's Pride Month. Let's give some some positive gay vibes out into the to the wilderness here." But yeah, we'll get to that now. Where uh, Loki seeming Loki also mentions a bit of his past. He says she she kind of questions him a bit about like any past loves and. He pauses and says, "Like, oh, that's something I might have to drink more to talk about." And I'm sorry, I'm kind of trying to w- think maybe they're going to give us an origin story of some like tragic love that Loki had in his past that broke his heart, or some kind of like Snape origin story where it's like, oh, Loki had this like really sad childhood where he was his heart was broken by someone and give him a little bit of an extra extra development in that way. Yeah. I thought we were going to get that, but apparently not. Maybe in a later episode, but there's only three left, so who knows. <laughs> but yeah, Tom Hiddleston says they're getting crazy, so I imagine we'll get into like some kind of Origins of Loki type thing. But yeah, we'll get to threes in a bit. We're starting to drag on this section already, but I was happy to see it. Of course, I mentioned Loki drank too much and is singing this Asgardian song about his lost love, and uh, Sylvie is not very happy about it. Loki's pretty much given away their entire plan. He's lost his disguise, and the guards come in kind of demanding Loki to show his tickets and he isn't able to do it, of course, because they faked their way on. And we get yet another cool action scene on this train here. Uh, Loki versus these guards to some pretty cool music, even if the action isn't as good as the rest of the action of the episode. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it. The action was maybe not as great as it had been, but The one thing I've been curious about is, like, Loki is this, like, god of mischief mischief that can procure anything. Why can't he just fake some tickets? Yep. And I wonder if he was trying to at the end, but he <laughs> couldn't get it up, essentially. Like, yeah. he was like, oh, I'm going to do it. And then it was just sparks. Yeah, that's <laughs> possible. But I, I also wonder if Loki is kind of playing a game this whole time and he's not actually drunk at all. Yeah. But Can gods get drunk? That's what I want to know. Yeah, because I imagine Loki's trying to play some games over Sylvie, and Sylvie's playing games over Loki still, and I think, even though they're emotionally honest in the episode, I do think there's some games being played by Loki here. I can't imagine that. Otherwise, it feels like a dumb move from Loki. Like, why would Loki... Loki doesn't seem like a character who'd drink too much and fuck up the plan like that. Like, he's a god of mischief, but he's not, like... He doesn't make massive mistakes like that. He's not an idiot. Yeah, he's not that dumb <laughs> okay Loki and Sylvie get blown from the train they they fly out into the desert here and now they're pretty much screwed uh, Sylvie's had enough of Loki's bullshit and insists on uh, getting the time thing back but it's broken Loki says oh I'm hedonistic that's what I do and she says oh I'm hedonistic but I'm not an idiot like this version of Loki who has written bad or, or maybe has a plan <laughs> I don't know and then Loki says, oh, who cares? Plan doesn't matter because we're never going to be at the TVA. Who even cares? And Sylvie lets out this big angry scream that I feel like is me every time I get confused by the writing in an MCU show. Yeah. <laughs> so Loki feels bad for Sylvie and offers an alternative plan. They're going to hijack the Ark itself and escape. Uh, it crashed, sure, but timeline be damned. Not when we're on it. We're going to save the day and get out in time. 
So what did you think of the second plan from Loki? Did you buy the emotional dynamics of the scene? Do you think Loki's faking it? What's going on here, Joe? So, I mean, I know we normally save theories to the end, but it's basically the end. My, my, my theory is one of them is faking something, but at what point did the faking start? I don't know. But I think we're going to find out, like, mid... They're going to accomplish it. They're going to get the... I think at some point, as the train is taking off, one of them is going to reveal something to the other, and the other person is going to reveal it was all a ruse, and that maybe they're even still back at the TVA, and, like, Lamentus 1 <laughs> isn't real. They were never on Lamentus 1, or... Like, my, my thinking is that the broken... Uh, thing that uh, like whatever it's called, basically their little time pad, time machine thing mm -hmm. that Loki showed Sylvie uh, wasn't the real one, and it was a fake, broken one that Loki showed to Sylvie just to like get her to go with his plan. Yeah, it's an interesting direction. I think I like that. Uh, like maybe this isn't even happening at all, and there's some kind of projection or enchanting going on. Maybe Loki's all been enchanted this whole time since the moment the episode started or something like that but that would be an interesting move i don't know what uh they do with that but i think hmm, that's a good theory yeah. <laughs> i'm starting to run with that in my head now but what was your theory because my i wasn't sure where to go with it i was just wondering is loki just faking this all along is does he really have the the real time keep or whatever they call it and he's just trying to get something out of sylvie but I don't know what direction to go with this because my other the other answer is that they just wrote Loki bad this episode. Yeah, I mean and... that's always a possibility. Like that's <laughs> the one basis of fan theories when people try to explain stuff. It's like there's always the possibility of bad writing. Like maybe we've done this that... is this and then or they just wrote it bad. Because we've done that a plenty of times in this MCU run alone. Like we'll be like, oh, Peter. Uh... Petro is in the is is actually the Quicksilver from the X Men universe, and he's played Evan Peters, so he's got to be a multiverse. And then it's just like, oh nope, Rock actually no. <laughs> and I feel like I don't want to get too too wired up on these fan theories because I I do wonder like first two episodes are what hit the critics, and they're really proud of these two episodes, and then they knew the third one's a bit of a step down, so they were like, okay, let's save that for one of theirs. And it could just be bad writing, or it could be intentional and. I think we'll find out next week because they're dragging it out a bit, but we'll get to... I want to go a bit through this. I do. My theory at this point, though, is that Loki is faking this and that he didn't actually drink too much. Or yeah. he actually does have a tragic backstory love, and we're going to find out that's why he drank so much because he doesn't really think yeah. about his past love, but he finally did one time, and it was what threw him off the plan and made him do all these terrible mistakes because he wasn't used to thinking about them. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a theory for beyond maybe next episode or that plot line? Because I have one. Let's save that to the end. I want to get through okay. a couple sentences okay. here. The last bit here, uh, we get a cool exchange here where Loki kind of explains a bit of his story to Sylvie, and she says, "Well, that's a pretty good life." And Loki says, "Sorry, you missed it." I think that's a kind of cool quip. Like there are these two characters who were on the exact we're on like opposing paths and Loki has this line of like sorry you missed it like maybe she could have gotten it if she had a couple like a different chance of fate she would have been him you know yeah. and then Loki demands details of what Silly's powers actually are whatever what's enchantment what's even going on here and she reveals a bit of what it's like gives some kind of metaphor but then she drops more interesting detail that I think is 
what we got to get in before we start going on theories, which is that every agent in the TVA is actually a variant. Uh, they are taken from the timelines, I assume, and erased, and now they serve as agents of the TVA, including Mobius, including Rengrave, I assume, including everybody at that place, the guy who didn't know what a fish was. You know, maybe that's why I didn't know what a fish was. I, what I if we find out he was like a fisherman? <laughs> that would be hilarious. And they just completely erased fish specifically from his memory. They're like, you've forgotten fish. Yeah. Maybe he's the guy with the jet ski, you know? Yeah. So, like, Mobius and Mobius is definitely, like, had a jet ski back in the day. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Or he died in a jet ski accident or something. Yeah, I've also... I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen the theory that, uh... Uh, like, what if Mobius is actually just, like, Owen Wilson, like, an Owen Wilson remnant, and they, like, brainwashed him, and now he's, like, this guy, Mobius. That would be so funny. That's when you get the, oh, wow, though. You, you get back to Owen Wilson on set, and his first line of the scene he walks onto is just, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> that would be good. But, unfortunately, I mean, who knows? The writers have just lied to us, too, before, yeah, so. Maybe to hide the most iconic moment in the show. Oh, yep. It turns out wow. he's he's the timekeeper. He's a uh, king. So, what do they call it? What's king that guy the that they're theorizing? King the Conqueror is going to be. Yeah, it's actually Owen Wilson's playing King the Conqueror. They fired yeah. the guy from Lovecraft Country. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that's going to go over well. Yeah, we hired <laughs> like this up and coming black guy and replaced him with fucking Owen Wilson. Can't wait to see that response on Twitter. Yeah, that'll be fun. And then the last shot we get essentially is this. Real fake, but also cool one shot of them arriving into the cyber city and looking up at the arc taking off. And they're like, oh, God, we got like, you know, however many seconds we got to run. So they get like a nice one shot running through the city, cutting through all these buildings. And of course, you, if I mean, the cuts are there, no. but it looks smooth enough that it can fool the eye. And you just watch along and it's pretty cool. And I like seeing some ambitious, like... Most of the time, Marvel movies are shot really flatly and don't really have a lot of, like, big dynamic anything. And I think it's yeah. cool to see a big one-shot take and maybe even a nice throwback to those old Netflix shows that used to love doing their hallway one-takes. Oh. Yeah, that those those shows were bad, except one show. <laughs> everyone Daredevil came out and everyone was like, this show's amazing. And then all the other shows would come out and be like, maybe it'll be as good as Daredevil. And it never was. But of course, it's too late. Uh, the arc explodes, and now they're really screwed because they're stuck on the planet. And I imagine they don't have much longer until they're blown up by this crazy moon exploding thing. Yep. <laughs> moon crashing into the planet, or are they on the moon crashing into the planet? I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but the a moon is crashing, crashing into, into the, the planet. Oh, okay. One or the other. Something's crashing into something, and they're on one of them. Yep. Mobius and Mobius is going to show up on a jet ski and save the day. <laughs> Look, I would guarantee there's a jet ski by the end of the series. But... Oh, for sure. <laughs> Where do we go from here, Joe? How do they get off of this planet? What's going on? Uh, I think the TVA is going to show up. and Maybe, okay, here's my theory. Maybe they did enough to change the timeline that the Ark gets off of the moon. Or maybe like they use their magic and they come up with the idea of we're going to use our magic to save the Ark which is going to get the TVA here because these people have all become remnants. And then when the TVA shows up, they're going to like do something to like get back. And that's my theory as they're going to do, they're going to purposefully do something or something's going to happen to cause the TVA to show up. And that's their ticket back. 
my theory into the episode was that the final scene was going to be them getting rescued by yet another Loki, some kind of alternate Earth variant Loki. Okay. That's kind of what I what I, I mean. That's just a theory I have. I'm just pulling that out of my my mind, but that's what I'm thinking. It, it, I like your TVA theory. I think that's definitely a direction they would go. I want them to get back to the TVA. I want more Owen Wilson. I think Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston together are what. Yep made the first episode so good so i hope your theory is correct <laughs> i want to get some owen wilson maybe maybe we get an alternate timeline owen wilson or yeah. some variant version of owen wilson because we now know he is a variant so maybe there's a couple other variants of him out there somewhere wedding crashers owen wilson shows up <laughs> yeah maybe lightning get, like, mcqueen John... shows up and they drive away good <laughs> ciao that would have been the best final scene could you have imagined the internet reaction they're like, oh no, the arc is exploding. I turn around and it's like you want to go fast, and he just <laughs> grinds his way right in there. You know, drifts onto the into the camera. Ah, oh, would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been a good moment. But I doubt that's what happens. We'll yeah. see, though. Yeah. I we think they are gonna. They gotta get rescued at this point. I. I kind of wish the episode was like ten minutes longer. And they're like, okay, here's how they get rescued. Here's the yeah. next cliffhanger. Like. Here's either Owen Wilson showing up and you're like, oh shit, they got caught, or here's Maybe it's alternate a fast Loki and... showing up. Maybe it's a Fast and Furious crossover and Dom and the crew show up and rescue them. Yeah, they're trying to save it to like after the movie comes out so they don't spoil it because it's like the post credit scene of Fast yeah. 9 is, is Loki. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, but I... Yeah, my theory running with it is that an alternate Loki is going to come save them and they're going to get on this path because I do imagine... When Tom Hiddleston says we're going to go down a crazy path, we're going to get to, I would imagine, some crazy different Lokis and some different timelines. And by the end, an actual multiverse of the MCU. And as much as I would love Owen Wilson to come back, I don't want them to go back to the TVA because we just were back at the TVA last at the premiere of this episode. And we were like, oh, okay, I guess we're back at the TVA. <laughs> so I'd like us to get somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just think the TVA showing up makes the most logical sense. We've been introduced to them before. It won't feel too like Deus Ex Machina if the TVA mm-hmm. shows up to rescue them because all of the people on the train are now going to escape and they're now all variants. So yeah, I think I think you have a good point there. They did change the timeline quite a lot more than they planned on it, and I also was theorizing that maybe Owen Wilson he knows that the. Uh, that Sylvie is hiding out at apocalyptic yeah. events, so maybe he's just been traveling to a ton of apocalyptic events. And Owen Wilson's character or a couple of TV agents show up next week, and we'll find out he's been doing that for like ten years. TVA time, just going to every apocalyptic event from the start to the yeah. end, trying to find him. And he, because of time travel logic, he was able to show up to them at the right time because they have to, as established last week, they have to experience apocalyptic events from front to back uh they can't like jump around in the middle for some reason yeah. that, that was just the, t- the time travel logic they used yeah so that would be a fun uh way to get the tva in there like owen wilson not only shows up and saves him but he's been doing this for like a decade trying to find loki every every day every second at every apocalyptic event and they finally found him yeah that'd be cool too i've just like he spent so long looking for him you know, like in Interstellar, they come back up to the plane, and it's like, oh, the the dude's like all gray-haired and has a beard now. He's it's been thirty years or something. <laughs> yeah, that could be interesting. But I do think like the show took a big sci-fi turn this week and went in the direction I didn't expect. So I'm I'm looking forward to what they can do next. I 
don't know what I expected this week, but it wasn't this. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they'll subvert them again and do something. Uh, I thought this was a good episode, but maybe more interesting, more more crazy and wild next week. Yeah, for sure. You want my theory yeah. for uh, how I think maybe this season could end? I don't know if they ever said this is like a series finale or like a, uh, if this is a mini series or just like a season or what this is, but. Go for it. So a young Sylvie is like listed in like the IMDb credits. Now IMDb isn't the most reliable when it comes to credits. And this isn't my theory. I saw this theory from someone else and I, I like it. As we saw the little bit of Sylvie's kind of sad backstory, or at least her describing it, how she didn't have anyone to train her in magic and all this. So my theory is at some point Sylvie is going to like risk her life or do something and end up dying to help you know tom hiddleston loki and i think tom hiddleston loki using his time pad is going to go back in time and find a young sylvie and essentially adopt her and raise her I and like train her so she doesn't have like a sad backstory and has like someone to like watch out for her and teach her that'd be interesting i really like that i, I hope they lean into the time travel like that and just kind of zoom us around and do some cool stuff because that's what I was really hoping for out of this show. Once they started getting into that multiverse premise and started getting into that idea of, oh, there really is all these different timelines and all these different variants. And yep. it was cool to see this Doctor Who episode. I'm craving Doctor Who. It's been a while. <laughs> the pandemic put yep. that season on hold. I'm still waiting. But uh, I'm I'm hoping next week we maybe even get to it. I'm disappointed, though. I wish we got off of this planet belly on the episode because I feel like we got to spend at least five minutes or, or more getting off of the planet next week right and... yeah i mean it kind of depends do you want i mean the next episode could be you know 55 minutes and the first five minutes are dedicated to them getting off this planet or it could be 50 minutes and they were rescued at the end of this episode so especially like when this disney plus streaming world when they're not beholden to you know a 44 minute or 22 minute time slot then it you know i'm not so much worried about like the allocation of time of whether it was in this episode or the next one. That's true. Cause by the end I'll just binge through it. They won't even phase me with one episode of what. And... Yeah. But yeah, I don't have a ton of big theories. I do. I think Kane the Conqueror certainly is where they're going to be going. And I think the TVA is obviously set up and to be the bad guys and whether it was, I almost felt like it was revealed this week when they were like, Oh, they're actually all variants. And it's yeah. like, Oh, cause the timekeepers, whoever they are, are keeping these people as like slaves essentially and wiping their minds and keeping them these corporate drones. <laughs> so I do think the TVA is going to be the big bad of the show. And Owen Wilson, I pray to God, please, Mobius, turn to the good, to the Lokis. And because I, I mean, want, him, I want me, him to stick around. Something tells me he would because he's always been like a little bit of a rebel. He's never been like a by the book. The TVA is amazing. Everything they do is incredible. It's always been like he does his own kind of thing. Like he works for them, sure, but he's not exactly like in love with them. So. Mm -hmm. And I do think that kind of confirms, or not confirms, but it adds a lot of fuel to my theory from last week. The because we got learned this week that the TVA are all variants, and I theorized last week that there was some kind of multiple Mobiuses going on, or like a Mobius loop, yeah. <laughs> or something where we were getting, like a Mobius comes into the office, and he has multiple marks on the table, he has multiple souvenirs, and then eventually he gets erased and comes back again, and 
the fact that he's a variant for me adds a little bit of fire to that feel because I gotta I gotta look for some some fan theories. A lot of mine died in the next show we're gonna talk about. So, so I gotta have some theories here. One of one of the things I will it's not really a theory, but it's just, it's probably never gonna be like confirmed or brought up. But someone said in the opening episode where you go to the where you're first taken to the TVA and they ask you to take a number even though there's no one really in line in front of you. Someone suggested maybe that's like a quick test to see if you can follow direction and follow order. And if you take a number, maybe you become a member of the TVA and if you refuse to take a number, they just destroy you. <laughs> and arrest that's, you. That's a good test. Like maybe there's all these little mo moments along Loki's path are like these small little tests that you got to pass through to get to acceptance by TVA and that's why we're seeing these little small tests like oh do the research do the homework find this thing because it's like oh can loki follow all or can he not and yep yep all right so you ready for our next show yeah i think i, I think we covered loki more than enough yeah. <laughs> looking forward to next week but uh excited to talk about the bad batch uh, star wars is the bad batch i'm gonna refresh my stream yard for a second before we come back but all right i'll be there in one second all right, yeah, so the next episode, or well, this episode of The Bad Batch is called Bounty Lost because, well, The Bad Batch lost, you know, something precious to them to a bounty hunter, and that's probably why the episode is called Bounty Lost. And then in this episode, that bounty hunter lost their bounty, so. Yeah, Bounty Lost, and I think you can tell multiple bounty hunters in one episode. You've gotten a, even a name trap of, a, of the big bounty hunter of them all, you know? <laughs> Din so, Jaren. Joe, yep, that was it. Give me your thoughts, Joe. What did you think of the Bad Batch, the, the mid-season premiere of the Bad Batch? Uh, I thought it was good, a good kind of uh, info, like a very subtle info dump about what maybe the future of this show could be in future seasons of definitely tying into the sequel trilogy a little bit. Uh, we might have seen, you know, somewhat of a familiar face. Yeah. It's a little clouded and in a lot of green, so it was hard to tell. But uh, I, I, there's different theories going around. And on Monday, when they always drop the like little behind the scenes pictures and like uh, uh, like the little information tidbits, then we might know more. But until then, what what a, what a moment that was, Joe. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But yeah, yeah I my jaw was a little bit on the I floor thought, for that. I thought, yeah, I definitely thought this was like a fun episode. I think the show's definitely picking up, uh, for sure. I mean, it's hard to tell when the previous episode was essentially the mid-season finale and this was the mid-season premiere, but, you know, it's definitely... Like, the show doesn't feel like it's dragging for me. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes with the animated shows, especially when they're normally 22 episodes long, where I'm like, okay, let's move it along. But this show's really moving along quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed by the show. I think the pacing's been really great. They don't have a lot of filler episodes. As much as I think filler episodes can be fun i think this show is benefiting from being plot forward at a lot of points and this episode even more than last week i think moved the plot forward and where last week was really great action i think this provided some really good action and cool action and also provided a bit of the lore development and the stuff that so i think you have a bit for everybody you had the action fans satisfied you had the kids had a nice cool arc with the kid character so they're satisfied they had a fun little cute droid <laughs> And you also had the lore hounds who are watching to get any little piece of anything out of this show. And I think it gave all of us a little bit to chew on. So I was really satisfied with the episode. I think 
it sets up a a lot of good questions going forward, a lot of good possible directions that can go, and a lot of characters that we might see show up. And I'm curious to get into that as we go. Yeah, we also got a returning character that if you had to say what characters from the movies would you like to see in other media, the character would not have been on my top 100. Not because I'm against the character, just not a character I was dying to see. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, so, you know, where the previous episode ended, uh, Omega has been taken by legendary bounty hunter Cad Bane and the Bad Batch of clones you know had to go get her back and that's kind of where we were yeah we start off a nice chase scene here uh the badge is being chased by uh crosshair and they're getting shot at they decide oh i guess we gotta jump without omega so they jump out and leave and meanwhile omega wakes up in the ship of cad bane she's being held hostage i can't remember i think it was toto the name of his droid and that droid, I think, was in Clone Wars as well. He was kind of Cad Bane's yep. sidekick droid throughout the Clone Wars. So not only is Cad Bane back, but his nice little droid is back. And uh, Omega is captured. Meanwhile, the Bad Batch is trying to get her. What did you think of the premise, Joe? Yeah, I mean, pretty basic standard premise. Uh, you know, it's cat and mouse type thing. You know, pretty standard basic. And that's kind of what Star Wars does is they take... You know, classic, standard, you know, stories that have been told for generations and generations and wrap them in the skin of Star Wars. So, And it felt, this feels almost like a Clone Wars moment where it's like, oh, we're thrown into the middle of the action. It's like, oh, what's going on? It's like, okay, she got kidnapped. We got to rescue her. And, yeah. and I could almost hear, like, Tom Kane's voice, like, you know, the go- you know, Cad Bane has kidnapped Omega. <laughs> the Bad Batch, you know, en route to rescue her, blah, blah, blah. That's what I was thinking. It's like if if you just in a world where this is airing on Disney Channel or Disney XD or Cartoon Network or wherever it would have been in that alternate universe, like I could see someone tuning in and being like, "Oh, I heard this Bad Batch show is good. I'll watch the mid-season premiere." And then they got as much as they needed to get. Like, "Oh, this is the kid they're working with. Yeah. It's another clone, and they got a rescuer. And here's yeah. these clone guys. And here's Cad Bane. I remember Cad Bane. And <laughs> it feels like a nice mid-season premiere. You could theoretically jump in if you needed to." Yeah, for sure, definitely. And I, I'll say the Camino thing for. Well, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't take many notes on here, Joe, because like I, I mentioned, I was really impressed by the episode. So there's going to be big gaps. Yeah, <laughs> I won't fine. lie I can, to you. I've seen the episode twice, so I can probably try to fill them in as best as I can. So after I, I mentioned uh, Omega has been kidnapped by Cad Bane, and. And we get a Bad Batch kind of exposition scene a bit where the, they explain that they're they're like, oh, why is Omega so important? Why are they after Omega of everybody in all these clones? And they, uh, Tech has the answer, of course. Yeah. Uh, he always seems to. <laughs> and he, t- he explains to them that Omega is the only pure Jango Fett clone out there, outside, of course, of that guy Boba Fett that we heard about yeah, well, they said, uh, in the Clone uh, Wars. Yeah, they said there's two. One, previously codenamed Alpha, who now goes by Boba, and then Omega. So that kind of explains how Omega got her name. And it also explains why they're not really after Boba's, because Tech basically says that he's gone missing, or he like his whereabouts are unknown. So, Yeah, I like that. I really... There are so many theories bouncing around in the first half of the season of 
oh, what makes Omega so different? Is she a Palpatine clone? Is she force sensitive? Is she this or that? And mid season premiere, we got what I assume is going to be at least the, the most of the answer is that she's a pure Django fed DNA. She's what the Caminos need oh. to make clones, and that's why they're after her because they can't go after Boba Fett. Boba Fett's a lot easier, a lot harder to find than this kid they at one point had in their capture, you know. And I do yeah. wonder if the Boba Fett name drop is going to. Be a reminder that he's out there in the galaxy. Maybe he'll show up and help out his sister here, but that's for later on, I guess. Yeah, so one of the things I thought was interesting in this, I've seen other people speculate this, and I've seen it as well, is Boba Fett was created because Jango wanted a son. That's why he's unaltered. Mm -hmm. You know, He has no changes to his DNA like the other clones do. And part of me wonders if, because Nalase is like the chief, medical scientist on Camino, so part of me wonders if the reason that they want omega so much is maybe not because of her genetic material maybe not because of any practical like scientific reason but i part of me is wondering if nala say didn't create uh omega because she wanted a daughter interesting yeah because we do get in the episode that she has this emotional attachment to Omega that yeah, she's, she's I mean, invested in her more than uh, the Prime Minister thinks she should be. Yeah, I mean, there's that brought up of basically uh, the Prime Minister says you're too connected to her, you're too attached to her, and it's I mean, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, we didn't we haven't talked about Fennec Shand, but it's kind of revealed she's the one that hired Fennec Shand, but she wasn't exactly hired to, like, kill her. It was basically hired to rescue her. And I think and that's kind of my prevailing theory is it'll maybe never be a thing that's expressly stated, but I think that's kind of why Omega was created. Now, exactly how they created a female clone with male DNA, I don't really know the whole science behind that, but... Look, it's Star Wars. I don't question yeah. the science. <laughs> yeah, I think if part I of it is just the like the Bad Batch is like all dudes and I think creating another pure male genetic clone is just like okay what makes him different than Boba does this make Boba less special it's like okay we're just gonna make her female she's a female clone of of uh Jango which explains why she has the blonde hair because I think Tamara Morrison's mother and sister in real life both have blonde hair so I think that's the inspiration for why um Omega has blonde hair it's a good it's a good observation i like that a lot i like that we get more answers on omega I, I think like you mentioned the pacing has been really good in this series so far i think other shows would have held that off for like four seasons like we're not going to find out who omega really is till the end of the show or halfway through the show or something or at le- even at least the end of the first season yeah. and i think the fact that we're getting at least a lot, some answers and direction for what the yeah. the answers for the show are going to be i think is a good sign yeah, and I see people online still, like, fully on board and thinking that Omega is Force-sensitive. But for me, I think if she was Force-sensitive, we would have gotten at least some hint about that, you know, to a degree. And so far, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like, a little bit where she's, like, intuitive and whatnot. But I'm completely ice-cold on that theory that she is Force-sensitive. For me, the whole reason I thought she was Force-sensitive is I thought when the Bad Batch's ships activated, it would make it, like it would be to turn against her and that would make it so like that much heartbreaking but the fact that all of their chips are deactivated minus crosshair like that's just gone like to me that's when you like what's the point of her being force sensitive anymore if they don't have their chips yeah because we 
I will get to it later, but I think she can be significant to the Palpatine Snow cloning kind of arc without actually being force sensitive. And I think yeah. a lot of the theories initially were around that, like, oh, is she going to be carrying Palpatine's DNA? Is she going to be carrying this or that? That will lead us down the chain of events that got us to the sequel trilogy. And she might not actually be force sensitive, but I think you can satisfy both parties, I guess, where you give her that significance to Palpatine's arc while also not actually making her force sensitive another like grogu kind of character yeah and i think that's also too repetitive to the mandalorian if she's force sensitive that automatically changes the dynamic where i think she's going to be more used for her brain especially working i think we're going to over time get more and more into the cloning aspect and the fact that she was working directly under basically the head cloning scientist her entire mm -hmm. life and especially now that we know she doesn't have the advanced aging so She's been working under the advanced cloning, you know, person for several years, not just like a year or two. So, yeah, and we get a mention in the next scene here on Camino, where we get a bit of a better idea of what their plan is. Where Cad Bane's going to drop off Omega at what we now know is an abandoned cloning facility, an abandoned Camino cloning facility, which I think is an interesting uh, little bit of a wrinkle. Like it could have been anywhere, and we're getting established the fact that. The Kaminoans have this secret abandoned cloning facility out there somewhere, and maybe that's part of their deeper plan. Maybe they have this hidden cloning facility where if if worse comes to worse, they can go back and open up this abandoned facility and get their Omega and build their clones up from the bottom again. Yeah, I think they're... I think they're uh, planning to make more soldiers, but not for the Empire, not for the Republic. I think they want to make more soldiers for themselves to fight against the Empire. Because I think we're slow. Like, I, I thought originally that was the season finale, but I think that's more and more I'm on board with that's the series finale. I think, like, the Prime Minister is kind of being shown to be an antagonist. Uh, we saw uh, Tan Wei. Uh, who was the character I was referencing earlier of like that's the character I would not have guessed they ever brought back who is the Kaminoan that mainly talks to Obi-Wan Kenobi in Attack of the Clones uh, <laughs> but apparently uh, she needed to come back to have the one line of yes Prime Minister and then die so uh, look I'm all about that connective tissue you know more yeah. Attack of the Clones uh, validation is good on me. Any any connection you can give me to the best yeah. Star Wars movie, I'm down for. And then Nalisei, who is the you know basically Omega's mother, um, that Kaminoan is the one that, like I was reading up on her, and in canon she's had like a, spe a special affinity for the clone. She's not like this heartless, careless. You know she she cares about the clones as individuals. And so I think there, I could easily see the Prime Minister dying, Nalase being kind of the new head of Kamino, and she's the one that, you know, to defend the clones, leads the attack on the Empire, and probably a futile effort that doesn't really go anywhere. And probably I imagine why so. Kamino and every, their, their cloning facility gets taken over, and that's why we see the new head of it, Dr. Pershing, who is a human and not a Kaminoan by the time of the Mandalorian. Yeah, I think it's good to note that like, by the time they get to Mandalorian, we'll talk about the cloning stuff later, but keep in mind, Mandalorian is, is a long time after this show, and the, and the Empire it's... still hasn't mastered cloning. Just trying to do the math. 19, okay, so A New Hope is 19 years after Revenge of the Sith, plus four for the time of the original trilogy, so that's 23 years. 
plus five because Mandalorian is five years after Return of the Jedi. So yeah, so Mandalorian is twenty eight years after what we're seeing. Twenty seven, twenty eight years after the Bad Batch. Yeah, so even thirty years later, we know that the Empire is struggling to master cloning, and they haven't really figured out how to get it there. And my, I'm imagining that's because they don't have this pure Django fed DNA. This uh, this DNA we know can work well with cloning. So I, I do, I, I have hope, Joe. I'm optimistic that Omega is not going to be killed or captured by the end of Bad Batch because I have. Can I? I know we like to save theories for the end, but I have another theory about the surviving members of the Bad Batch. Basically, you we can get to that, but I want to before we get to any cloning and stuff like that. I want to cover that later scene. So okay, I'll save that for the end then. My you know based (laughs) on interviews and stuff, who I think the surviving. But yeah, let's save that for the end. I want to get through a couple more lines here. Because after this is when I started getting lost in the action and not taking the many notes. So we'll get through what I got. But Omega decides to outsmart this robot, uh, the Cad Bane sidekick droid. Uh, she tricks him, talks him into letting her fix his legs. And she does it. But then, of course, she disables him and says, Oh, sorry, just temporary. And gets out of her cell. But meanwhile, of course, the Bad Batch is closing in on her trying to track her down but they can't really find her. And she's setting out to find her communicator. All kind of goes well, but we see that Cad Bane is stalking her down. Uh, what'd you think of this kind of action scene with Omega where she's running through kind of cool visuals, I thought. I really, yeah, I really liked it. This, her, this yeah. show's delivering on visuals, I think. Yeah, of her going through all like the shelves and everything looking for her communicator, and then eventually she does get it, but it's all staticky and muffled, and she realizes it's not enough. Yeah, we get these cool exterior shots of her going through these like locations on the outskirts of the of the planet, and I think this show, I would just kind of, I'm blown away sometimes by the exteriors on the show when you compare them to the Clone Wars, and <laughs> just yeah. like the quality and animation has grown so much. Yeah, like season one of the Clone Wars, it's like a PS2 cutscene, and some of this stuff, like you take the, you know, beings out of it, and it looks almost real. And of course, like you mentioned, uh, we're going to get an appearance from yet another character here, but it's one we've already established. Uh, because Cad Bane is closing in Omega, it seems like she's going to get captured. But of course, our favorite badass Mandalorian who is there, or badass from the Mandalorian, <laughs> who made her a Clone Wars hippie a couple episodes ago. What is her name, Joe? Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand. She has returned to rescue Omega from the clutches of Cad Bane and they get into yet another cool Cad Bane duel and I really thought this one was cool. Yeah, it's kind of showing to me that Cad Bane is uh, kind of, you know, towards the tail end of his career and if you notice there was a moment in the scene where his hat fell off and he had a kind of metal plate in his head which he did not have during the Clone Wars which definitely ties into uh, one of the unfinished arcs from the Clone Wars where he had a battle and showdown with Boba Fett and in the unfinished arc, I think you can watch it on like the Star Wars channel on YouTube. Uh, he gets shot in the head and he shoots Boba Fett in the head, which gives Boba Fett his iconic debt in his helmet. And so he, we know he's already had his showdown with Boba Fett, which this, I know we save our theories to the end. I'm going to get to that 
I'll just drop one real quick. I think we're going to see that showdown in flashback in the Book of Boba Fett. Because while Robert Rodriguez is is not the most talented director, I can't think of anyone better <laughs> that I would love to see direct that live-action showdown of a young Boba Fett and Cad Bane. I think he delivered on the action in his Mandalorian episode, so I think he would be a good fit for that. And I do think it's fascinating because Star Wars, even more than the MCU, I think ties everything very much tighten it together and we see all these characters that cross over but not just for fun like we're seeing the plot connects like things that were brought up in previous shows are going to be important here and we're going to get uh the cad bane duel that was going to be in clone wars we'll get it mentioned in here and then maybe it shows up in mandalorian and we'll get a character who was in uh mandalorian who will be in here that'll then show up in book of boba fett and i really enjoy that level of crossover in star wars sometimes <laughs> When it fits the story, when it actually like fits the moment, and I think it makes sense to have these ba- these bounty hunters battling over yeah. the big bounty of Omega. Yeah, to me, it makes sense of why characters like Fennec Shand and Cad Bane show up all over because it's like, okay, Cad Bane was established as the best bounty hunter in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of money and you have a target you really need to acquire, you're gonna of course hire the biggest bounty hunter, you know, the best bounty hunter in the galaxy. Yeah, these are the kind of characters I like, like your B and your C and your even your D type characters, like that one Camino and we know from the Clone War or Attack yeah, of the Conway, Clones. Because yeah. <laughs> it's not like they're going to the planet and it's like, oh, there's Luke Skywalker, and he's like, hey guys, I'm Luke, I'm going yeah. to Tashi Station. Yeah, it's not like Owen Lars is in this episode. Like you know, <laughs> he's like, oh, like well, I'm just on vacation with my nephew and my wife. It's like no, it's characters that make sense. I'm still waiting for my Hondo appearance because I'll be sad if Hondo is not in this show. Well, I'll bring it to my next line on my notes here, Joe, where I just say, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure what I was referring to, but I was impressed by some stuff I will say here. I was a tiny bit disappointed after the Boba Fett name drop when we saw someone come in to rescue Omega, and it, I thought for half a second it might be Boba Fett. I imagine Boba Fett, like, we got a name drop, we got, like, he's not only name drop, but he's connected to the arc, like... I would be shocked if we don't get Boba Fett by the end of the season. I think Boba Fett's gonna be like the season cliffhanger, like the like something something something. The Kaminoans try to get Omega's DNA, but it doesn't work out. She breaks away and goes off with the Bad Batch again, and then they're like, "Oh, well, there is another person that has the DNA we need," and it, they cut to and you know, word on the street, he's working as a bounty hunter now, and then. You know, cut to we see Boba Fett off in the desert, maybe walking up to Jabba's palace or something. I like that. I think that's a good direction. I, I definitely think Boba Fett makes an appearance by the end of the season. They've been yeah. name dropping him too much. He he's too connected to the plot. And yeah. we were talking about Maul. What was Maul? This is Maul. That. And I think Boba yeah, I Fett's think, the one that's going to be there. Yeah, I think I I I don't see Maul fitting this show right now. I can see Maul being like. Maybe they move up in the world, and right now they're working for Sid, who's basically like this lowly bar owner, essentially. And maybe if we get to like a season three or season four, they're directly working for Crimson Dawn and doing jobs for Crimson Dawn. I would like that, because I don't imagine Maul's going to show up like lightsabers in hand, dueling people, but I think it's going to be more of a Crimson Dawn connection. We're going to see they do work, and Maul's kind of like this background criminal uh, in the leading them yeah, and maybe work by for like an organization, finale you work for crimson dawn you know yep 
Or maybe like the the rebels. I have a rebel yeah. tattoo. You can't see it much, but you Crimson know, Dawn it's there. is better. It's the that's the organization you want to work for. <laughs> we got this scene here, the scene of the episode. I think uh, yeah, another scene of the episode where Omega confronted by the bounty hunter, and she says, "Well, why did Kevin Owens want me?" And we get this ominous line of "You already know why," or something like that. And she backs up, and this very Snoke-looking thing falls down snoke is it kimono and is it There's, what is okay, that thing so, but we know it's a failed clone and it freaks omega out and she runs so i know we save you know i've brought it up a number of times we save our theories for the end but my thing is so the first clone she sees we see the face very clearly it's like the same species as Neen nub from the original uh uh star wars trilogy the second face i think she sees that's very obscured to me, I think, is like a pre-Snoke clone. I don't think it's like the Snoke we know, but I think it's that type of thing. The third one, I feel, is uh, Kamen Owen. Yeah, because I was trying to pause it as I went and said, like, I, I okay, paused, that's not Snoke. I paused the face on the second <laughs> one that was more obscured that you couldn't really see. And to me, that one, the face shape and outline just perfectly matched Snoke. So I think that one was like a Snoke type thing. But I still think it all ties into that whole realm of Snoke and clones and Palpatine and all that. Yeah, I love this background arc that they're building up slowly but surely of this cloning plan. And it's it's just fascinating potential. Like you have the, the Mandalorian connection and you also have this and you have the fans who can sit there and do the puzzle pieces and figure out like, okay, well, if they had the cloning at this point and the other point, and and eventually, I'm sure they'll get to the, the point where they're answering the questions of, of the last, of uh, Rise of Skywalker, and we get that through line of, you can watch it from start to finish, and you get that arc that wasn't there in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Very much like Clone Wars was, where you have the prequels, and it's like, okay, there were a couple of flaws in the prequels, let's go back and like fill in those holes. And I'm really fascinated. Yeah. I hope they can pull that off. Yeah, the sequel trilogy I don't think is ever going to be perfect, but I think a lot of the backstory problems I think you can fill in and make better. Like, I think there's something things you can do with Palpatine and Snoke to make those things better. I agree, and I really think these shows are the, where you do it yeah. because, like, in reality, I think most of the common audience was like, oh, yeah, that last one, like, it was it was fine. It wasn't as good as the other ones. It was it was supporting or whatever but they don't care about like the details of who is snook and yeah. who is a clone and yeah. the star wars I... fans are the ones who do and we're the ones who are watching mm -hmm. these essentially this kid's show on disney plus that we're really invested in and we're also watching mandalorian we're going to be watching anything else and they it can serve both audiences and i don't think most common audiences you go back and they're going to watch rogue squadron or whatever it is that comes out from patty jenkins they're not going to care oh who is palpatine's clone <laughs> They're just there for the next Star Wars. Yeah, and I, not to get on too much of a tangent, but I think things like Luke's appearance in The Mandalorian, and I still would like a show that's, you know, basically Luke's Jedi Academy that starts, that, you know, the season series premiere is, I, I would picture it as like an animated show, and the series premiere is Han and Leia dropping Ben off with Luke and the series finale is, you know, Ben's turn to the dark side. And I think seeing prime Luke, prime older Luke, you know, as like this perfect Jedi that people always imagined, it will make the like down on his, you know, luck, tired, you know, 
basically Yoda, Luke, in The Last Jedi work better. Because I think that's just a lot of people's problem is we never saw Prime Luke. So, like, that version of Luke doesn't have anything to balance against. Yeah, and I understand people... I don't want to get on a tangent of the other shows, but yeah. I like I like connective tissue when it actually fits the plot. So I'm yeah. curious. They're building this overarching plot of the clones and what does it mean? And I, I just wonder how much it'll tie into future shows. I can't theorize on that now, but... It'll be interesting it, to see how they can grow, grow that. I think it'll be hard for it not to tie into Book of Boba Fett. Like, d- there's a possibility. I mean, it would it'd be hard because it cut out a lot of stakes of Book of Boba Fett, but of us seeing an older Omega in Book of Boba Fett. I mean, that would be a, that would be a move. <laughs> Who knows? I'm fascinated. I mean, it I also think... depends if Book of Boba Fett lasts three or four seasons. Then when Bad Batch ends. We could see a scenario, like if Bad Batch ends a year before Book of Boba Fett ends, there could be a scenario where um, an older Omega works with Boba Fett. Or maybe, you know, like there's talk of like the Rangers of the New Republic is essentially like the Avengers of the Star Wars shows where that's where like they all work together and team up to maybe fight Thrawn or something. And like Omega could, an older Omega could show up in that, and the Bad Batch is done by then. Yeah, I met. Omega has the potential to be like a Ahsoka level character, where she starts off as this like childish kind of unexperienced character, and grows in confidence, and grows in experience, and becomes something really great. And I would love for that to happen. I'd love to watch that organically happen over the course of a series like that. And she's also not starting off with the giant amount of hate that Ahsoka did. Mm-hmm. Like, People I mean, pretty much liked her as soon as we yeah, started. Yeah, and probably Omega. we have Ahsoka to thank for that. I think if Clone... I mean, this show wouldn't exist if Clone Wars didn't exist, but if like Ahsoka wasn't in Clone Wars and Ahsoka just didn't exist in the char- as a character, but the show was still loved the same, and then you had uh, Bad Batch come out with Omega, I'm sure there'd probably still be a certain level of hate for Omega because people suck. Mm-hmm. But Omega does get rescued here. Uh, she's rescued by the Bad Batch just in time. She finds her transponder, is able to send off a message, and she gets saved just in time. She turns Fennec Shan down yet again. Uh, he says, Omega, I'm trying to help you. And she says what you said last time and, and leaves. And then she gets rescued by the Bad Batch. Uh, I was kind of surprised that they rescued her so quickly. I thought this might be like a multiple episode kind yeah, of arc. But same. it seemed to be leading away from arcs like that in this series. Yeah, I could have seen a scenario where maybe Fennec Shand rescues Omega and then the Bad Batch basically thinks they have to rescue uh, Omega from Fennec Shand and then there's kind of a thing where they realize Fennec Shand saved Omega and maybe there's more of a team up there, like kind of a like, hey, let's work together in the future type thing. Mm-hmm. There's a cool scene too where Omega fights against uh, Toto, restore with his flying foot or <laughs> what you want to call it, a little jetpack thing that she fixed for him. and. Yep. I think that's fun. I love, call me a, 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 a child if you want, Joe, but I really have a soft spot for these like goofy droid characters they once in a while bring into the Clone Wars and Rebels and yep. and now Bad Batch. Yeah. I wish this show had more of like a droid character. I know there's Gonky or whatever, but he's barely in this show. I, I want this show to have a droid. Yeah, give me Echo a doesn't count. <laughs> close, close, but not yet. Maybe when all the Bad Batch start dying, but yeah. I think we got to the theories at this point. If you covered the episode, and you mentioned Bad Batch Survivor, so I, I, 
I want to start with you, Joe. What's your theory on who makes it out? So there was an interview with one of the, like the main writers on the show, and she was essentially talking about how like Echo and Omega's relationship and how like Echo's importance to the fandom and stuff. So my theory is I think by series end, the only two people still alive, and we've seen from um, like Rebels and stuff, they're not afraid to kill big characters like Kanan. I think Echo and Omega are the last two survivors, the two that weren't official bad batchers the two that didn't start out as bad batchers i think over time they all kind of perish and uh echo and omega are the last two standing and maybe echo goes off to like raise omega hard to say i like that but i think it's a good plot development and i could see like a canaan level sacrifice of hunter like he has his final moment where he has to give himself up to defend the team and even get like a nice heart-to-heart eye contact moment of Omega looking into the eyes. I could see him, you know, maybe not using a force, but he could be fighting off some stormtroopers. And I think one of the Bad Batch will die this season, like the season finale, and that includes Crosshair. Like, if Crosshair dies, I say that counts, but I think one of the original Bad Batchers die this season. Watch Echo be the first to die, and I'm like, well, that series, (laughs) shit. Yeah, Omega doesn't make it out of the season, Joe, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah. but I, I think... That would be a twist. I think one of the original Bad Batch members died this season, and I think that could be kind of a thing that happens moving forward. Because I think they're planning for this to be a three to four season thing. I could imagine, you know, each season, maybe in the mid, you know, the mid season or the season finale or penultimate episode, one of the Bad Batchers die. My theory for which one dies is Tech. I think he's a double role with Echo. Tech's on a rise. I like there. See, there. I thought they were kind of the same character because they were both kind of tech characters, but they're already proving with their different personalities to be different characters. Where, and uh, and I saw this too of uh, tech is kind of like the neurotypical representation on this show of like, ah, uh, like that is true for people with it. like autism or you know asperger's or something like that he's kind of but he's also not like the butt of the jokes i i don't know if you listen to uh the force center podcast but they were talking about how like tech says tech has like that he's kind of like that representation and he says things that are funny but he never says things that are wrong he's never like the butt of the joke when he says something it's always just like different than what you would expect like when omega asked him what the war was like and he's like well it was just a uh, various skirmishes on different fronts you know across the galaxy over a number of years it's like well you're not wrong but that's not also exactly what she was asking I like that I think I didn't think about him as representation in that way but I I do appreciate that a lot and I think the only reason I was thinking he could be the one that goes off is he has this element of like oh does he or doesn't he like care about the team as much as the other people like he has these secrets he doesn't tell and like these he's like oh yeah because of this and this and i can see like his last moment being like he all he really does care he really is invested and then he kind of has to die (laughs) but that would be that'd be tragic i unfortunately tragedy might come with the territory of killing off the bad batch yeah i just i just think for the first death you want it to be emotional so i could see it be a, a crosshair who turns to the light but in doing so sacrifices himself and dies and you get the emotion that way if he finally overcomes his chip realizes the wrong he's done and tries to atone for that and in that he dies and then obviously you have wrecker and hunter sacrificing themselves for omega would obviously be you know Mm -hmm. big emotional deaths we're currently as we stand right now tech and echo dying is like it sucks but it's not 
if Tech were to die in like the next episode, I don't see it being like that sad. It's just like, oh, it sucks for him. Moving on. Yeah, I can only see it if they really do start building up Tech over the season. They're really making him like a prominent role, and he starts coming out of his shell and that kind of stuff. And then you get like that tragic turn of oh, he really became like a full yep. actualized member of the team, and then he and then he he yeah. has to fall. Yeah, but Crosshair, I think, is the more. Yeah, that's realistic. my number one bet but... of who dies <laughs> is Crosshair. Because I imagine he's not a series long villain. He's good for the first season, but. I, I don't see him lasting much longer than that, especially if they bring in Boba Fett and they bring in yeah. these larger scale antagonists like the Crimson Dawn eventually. That I think Crosshair feels like small potatoes compared to those characters. Yeah, I could see Crosshair. I, I could easily. I haven't thought about it until you brought it up, but I could easily see Boba Fett being the villain of next season. Mm hmm. <laughs> and he's constantly on the, on the hair of him and he's constantly closing in and they have these conflicts once in a while. Another question, how long before we see Darth Vader? Or is he like the villain of the final season? I don't know. I wonder if we don't see Darth Vader until like the last season. Or unless they... Or do they do what Rebels does where he's like... He's like, could be in the season premiere of season two, but he's the one that like dispatches someone else. Like, if Boba Fett is the villain of season two, maybe we see like the first time Darth Vader ever hires Boba Fett is to like fight the Bad Batch because they're becoming a problem for the Empire. I think we're more likely to see the em- the Emperor himself and the Odyssey Darth Vader. I think okay. seeing him as the as the one giving commands out to someone to find Omega could be what the plan. Because I think yeah. we get this idea that Palpatine has this secret plan even above the head of Darth Vader. Like I don't know how canon the comics are or not, but we know that Palpatine's Palpatine's cloning ideas and his snug plan is something that he keeps above the head of Vader, and Vader only has like the faintest idea of what what his ideas are. And I would I would like to see he has this secret bounty hunter that he's hunting down Omega to try and get that cloning DNA for himself, and Darth Vader doesn't even know about it. And I'm sure like Darth Vader, I think has to make it a, a Star Wars. It's the right era for it, and but. I could see him like way towards the end of the show, like maybe the last season, season before that, like maybe the penultimate season finale, we get a uh, humper and we see Fader walk on, but I'd like to save him for the end. Yeah, I could see that. It's uh, weird to say that the Emperor is somehow lower stakes than Darth Vader, but I somehow feel like Darth Vader's become like even more iconic than the Emperor has in some ways where like as soon as he's on the screen, you're like, oh wow, he's here. Yeah. Yeah, because I think when we're saying the Emperor, we're seeing him more appearing as a political figure and not a lightsaber-wielding Sith Lord that's like, oh, we're in imminent danger. Where Darth Vader shows up, it's like, oh, we're all about to die right now. Yeah, we're dead. Because my my imagination is like, oh, like a hologram of the Emperor is giving some command to someone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like not imminent life-threatening where Vader shows up. It's like, oh, yeah, so we're dead. That's cool. You could see Vader show up at the end and kill Hunter as one of the bad batch, and you're like, "Oh wow, he's really he's coming in for Omega for some reason or other." Yeah, I can see that. And Echo, maybe Echo because he knows that Anakin is how is what spares him. Yeah, I'm. I'm really curious. I want to get more of a picture of the galaxy at this point. Also, I could see Cause... Commander Coat. Like, I could see next season you have Boba Fett as like the crime world underworld antagonist how crosshair or how um 
uh, Cad Bane is, and then how Crosshair is kind of the Empire villain. I could see a situation where like Commander Cody is the Empire villain, and Boba Fett is like the criminal underworld villain. Yeah, nicking a commander Cody is similar to Crosshair, where he starts to like see the error of his ways and realize that maybe he's doing the wrong thing and comes to his comes to his self actualization in that way. Yeah, I still think Commander Cody could be a villain in Obi Wan though, so who knows? <laughs> who knows? Hey, maybe both. You know, they're, yeah. they're clearly tying these shows together pretty directly. Yeah. But yeah, the only thing I'm hoping for for the rest of the season here is. Like, sure, we're probably going to get some characters that show up. We're going to get some cloning answers by the end of the season. But I want to get a, a good picture of the galaxy and how it's adapting to the Empire's rule. I thought that was the more interesting part of the premiere. We were seeing, like, this small village that's suddenly taken over by the Empire. And they're like, oh, what are we got to get these passports. What's going on? And yep. uh, I think I want to see some more of that. And the Bad Batch has been kind of separated. They've been living in the underworld that is more or less unchanged under the Empire as we've seen throughout Star Wars. I think Underworld is just like, oh, Empire, Rebellion, Republic, who cares? It's all the same thing. And eventually that gets boring. <laughs> like, I want to know what it was like on what this was actually like and what it was like for the average person. And we get some of that in Rebels by the end of the, towards the end of the Empire, like what Ezra's life was like. But I would like to see what it was like in the rising of the Empire here. Yeah. So you got any final thoughts on Bad Batch, Joe? We've come to the nope. end of the plot here. Nope, I was just trying to think if there's any other character I want to see that the timeline fits. And I'm like, the only one I could think of, it'd be kind of cool to see like a young Leia in like season four, season five. Be kind of cool. I could see her in some kind of political role. Well, she'd be like, like... she would be very, very young, but she could be like in like a political scene, like behind her father or something. Yeah, yeah, like that yeah, I'm okay, saying. yeah, that makes sense. I'd be like, I don't know how much political pull she has <laughs> as a toddler, but yeah, she'd be very small. But I, that's what I was imagining. Like Bail Organa is giving some speech, and then little Leia walks in for a second or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious though, because this show has been very action oriented. It's been very like focused on the Bad Batch, and occasionally gets to the Kamen Owens, but it hasn't gotten <laughs> to a lot of like the larger scale, galaxy wide kind of stuff. So I don't know how much we're gonna see of that. Yeah, me either. Ready to talk uh, our next thing? Yeah, or you got more to say on Bad Batch? No, I'm ready. Uh, Bad Batch, we talked about it. But right. I'm excited for Monsters, Inc. We came up on an anniversary of it recently. Uh, so this is going to be our talk of Monsters, Inc. Yeah, we got Monsters, Inc. And then we got the... Uh, I watched the trailer for it. I didn't really know what to expect from Monsters at Work. But I watched the trailer for it yesterday. And it looks relatively interesting of them. You know, it's basically about the changeover of being... Uh, you know, based on scares to based on laughs, so they have to hire basically new people, so I thought that was kind of an interesting concept, but yeah, Monsters, Inc. Uh, I think it came out in 2003? I'm looking at 2001 on here, believe it or not. Oh, wow, that makes me feel old. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Long time ago. Uh, directors were Pete Doctor, the classic Pixar go-to, but we also had David Silverman and Lee Unkrich. Uh, like I said, it came out in 2001. Uh, one of the classic Pixar movies for me, we got Billy Crystal as Mike. We got John Goodman as Sully. And we have classic characters like Boo, the little kid. We have Randall, played by Steve Buscemi, the villain. He's kind of like a, a lizard, scary guy. And the premise of this movie is that it's a monster world where the monsters, to power their city, to power their reality they have to scare kids in our reality 
And the way that I get to that is by going through these closet doors that are kind of brought through in a factory and they open up the closet door and through essentially like a, a portal of space and time, they walk through into childhood bedrooms. And of course, Joe mentioned the twist of it is that the monsters are terrified of the kids, <laughs> as terrified as the kids are of them. Yeah. But they have to get the scares out of the kids to power their city. Uh, I love this movie. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, Joe, but I think this is Pixar's best movie. Okay, that's a hot take. <laughs> it's just super creative. I think the they build such a, a really fascinating world through so many different complex layers of like, okay, there's this city. They have to power it by screams. They go through these doors. You're in this factory. And I think that's a lot for a kid to take in. And the fact that it's presented so consumably is really fascinating. I think it builds a fascinating world. We mentioned in our last week review of Luca that it felt kind of unambitious, uncreative, it didn't do anything new. And when I rewatch Monsters, Inc., there's like 10 things new here. Like, sure, they take the general workplace kind of arc of like, oh, they're scared of this of this foreign scary thing, and they find out that it's actually not that scary, and they work together. And, like, that's an arc that's been done before in animation, but I think Pixar puts it in this fascinating new dynamic in this new world and these new characters, and it's one of my favorites. I think it's a great uh, Pixar movie. One of the one of the forgotten classics of Pixar. What are your thoughts on Monsters Inc., Joe? Uh, so off the top of my head, I would put it around like sixth best. I would say the first three Toy Stories are better. I would say Incredibles is better, and I would say Finding Nemo is better. Uh, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, like I was thinking about that as we were talking first started talking about it. That we would say that the you know, Luca didn't feel that original, and Monsters, Inc. feels very original. I've never seen a movie like that before or since. You know, and there's just so many small details of, like, they don't have light switches in the movie. They'll, they have, like, light valves because the laughs are gas, so everything... So they don't really have wires. Everything is run by gas, so it makes sense for you, like, to power your lights instead of a switch, you have a valve because it, like, releases the gas to power the light, which I thought... And just so many things like that in the movie. Um, I'm just looking at their cast right now. I forgot Jennifer Tilly's in this movie. Obviously, John Ratzenberger as the Yeti. That's probably my favorite John Ratzenberger uh, like cameo. Like I, I'm not going to count Ham in the Toy Story movies because that's actually like a significant role. But John Ratzenberger as the Yeti is probably my favorite like John Ratzenberger Pixar cameo. I love the way that this builds its world. I think it's just so interesting. Everything is so unique. And I love these characters too. Like Sully and Mike are such a great dynamic. And even all these years later without, like there's been a, a prequel, but it's not one of Pixar's like big hit franchises. I feel like it still feels very significant among the fandom of Disney and among the fandom of animation comparatively to something like even Cars. Like Cars has had three, had two sequels. There's, Three movies, some TV show spinoffs, all this kind of stuff, and nobody talks about cars. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's not like I guess they're it's relevant to kids, but I think Monsters Inc. has had some longevity with its characters. That's really impressive. I like yeah. it. I like the comedy. I think it's a really funny. A lot of good running gags, like Mike getting covered by stuff, and the TV commercial covered by the price tag in the magazine, and. Even with all that, he's still really excited about it. And we you get like some kind of running jokes of like, 
put that thing back or it came from Marcel Hartley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's iconic. Like, if you're our age, like, everyone knows that. But yeah, one of the things I really like is, like, it helped, like, behind the scenes-wise, is it helped, like, uh, increase, like, the level of animation and hair. Like, hair before this movie never looked realistic in 3D animation. It was always just, like, one stiff thing tied to someone's head but then they wanted mm-hmm. to make Sully's hair look realistic and so and basically since then in 3D animation they've been able to do more realistic hair which I can't even imagine how they would animate that that just seems like the biggest pain in the ass yeah and you compare it to stuff from today like Riot and the Last Dragon had that really beautiful looking dragon with all that fur and a lot of detail and all that I think comes from this movie I think it really pioneered that kind of detail and you look back and watch it now and like, of course, the animation's aged a bit, but it still looks great. I think yeah. that the contrast and the color all looks really great. Yeah, so many great running jokes that we even kept in our thumbnail of, like, Mike <laughs> being excited to be on, like, the cover of the magazine, and he was, you know, covered up by the barcode. And so, like, the whole thing of that running joke, I, I really liked as a kid. Yeah, and I like the creativity of the layers to it, too. Like, you could have just had, oh, it's a monster world where the monsters have to scare kids to get their power, but they added that extra layer, like, okay, but what if also? And I think that's something that Pixar's always been good about. Like, okay, what if also? Like, the little sprinkle of interesting on top of the pot. Like, okay, toys talk, but what if also there's this new toy coming in and yeah. they got to then, then, like, because it could have just been a movie about monsters scaring kids and powering their city, but the fact that they added this layer of the the monsters are scared of the kids and <laughs> that's an extra level of twist on it that I think makes it fun. Yeah, and of course yeah. you get the running, the running Harvey Weinstein esque villain throughout the movie. Oh yeah. Mr. Water news. One of Pixar's first twist villains, which is something they've become accounted for. Like in toy story three, they had that big teddy bear that turned out to be a bad guy. And that's yeah. something. And then Incredibles, they had a guy that turned out to be a bad uh, syndrome in the beginning of the movie. He's like a nice fanboy and then he becomes a bad guy and this is one of the first times Pixar was able to pull off that twist villain yeah and like it looked believable like it it, it it should have been obvious it's like this big spider and you thought it was Roz who I think was voiced by Brad Bird um um it, like it should have been obvious just because he looks like the villain but like apparently kid, where kids are dumb yeah I mean I was I was shocked alright Joe I had no clue this giant spider corporate monster was the bad guy. And it was James Coburn, who's like kind of a legendary veteran actor. I was over, uh, when I watched it recently. I was I was surprised by just how Harvey Weinstein he is. Like <laughs> he's like, we're going to go as far as we can to get this done, and I don't care who I hurt, I don't care what it costs you. And there's this element of him manipulating people and. <laughs> When I when this movie got nominated for an Oscar, it was mentioned during during the, the ceremony. Nathan Lane brought it up. He said, he was, said "Yeah, go for it." You you go for it. Quote it, Joe. You had it brought up. Oh uh, well, so uh, Nathan Lane, who is presenting, said something along the lines of, "Then we have Monsters Inc., which is surprisingly not a documentary about the Weinstein's." <laughs> yep, I think it points to this strange reality we live in, where there was this. Hollywood insider secret and you wonder if this movie yeah. was someone at Pixar was trying to yell about it you know yeah that's why whenever people like Oprah or whoever say oh I didn't know like Oprah and Meryl Streep and all these people say they didn't know it's like okay 
<laughs> I like before that story broke, and like me at the time living in Michigan, no connection to Hollywood whatsoever, knew he did some shady shit. So don't don't pretend like you didn't know. Everybody knew. <laughs> even the even the Monsters Inc. characters knew yeah. Joe. Yeah. But I'm a big fan of this uh, movie. I I see that you're not as high on it as I am. I think it's an it's an unpopular opinion to have it so high in my Pixar ranking, but I think it does a lot of Pixar stuff so well. It creates a new world. It brings us into fascinating characters that are unlike ourselves, but relatable in, in similar ways. And it, I also just love the ending. I think like the premise of these doors that lead into different places and they're going through like these factory conveyor belts of doors. That chase scene towards the end was so thrilling when I was a kid. I was like, God, I wish I could just like... <laughs> go here and travel through these doors and see all these different places. I think it, it really draw me, drew me into the world that was so much unlike our own. And then, like, even though I'm not as high on that movie, like, the scene where uh, Sully has most of the door built, and then Mike gives him the last shard of the door at the end, mm-hmm. and then he goes to see Boo, but you, you don't really know, like, how long it's been. It's kind of implied that Boo's, like, relatively older just like it's an emotional moment when you're a kid yeah i felt that in my heart you know he's been wanting to reunite with boo for so long and he finally gets this last piece to reunite with her after so after assumedly years waiting and trying to build up the pieces and trying to figure it out and put it back together he's and and i love that we don't get like she doesn't run out and hug him or something (laughs) you know you just see it's a little bit ambiguous yeah you just see uh Sully's face and like that smile for me that's enough that's all you need yeah you know like that is the slight little touch of happiness at the end they're like oh she's happy to see him you know or yep. he's happy to see her at least it's, it's going well yep. I I like this a lot I'm looking forward to the series because the series is a sequel and we haven't gotten any follow up for this uh, yep. since it came out we got a prequel movie but that of course didn't make any didn't take up the story afterwards so this will be our first time yep. in 20 years since we've seen a follow-up to monsters inc yeah you got john goodman coming black back to play dan connor on what, what, what was a revival of roseanne and then became the connors you got john goodman coming back for to play sully and monsters at work on disney plus so i can't wait to see him in like five or ten years bring back the character of walter sovchak and uh the big lebowski too the return of the lebowski please give me that uh one of my favorite movies of all time i any any final thoughts on monsters inc joe i wanted to touch on it quickly no i think that's i think that's kind of all i have to say on monsters inc so yeah that's all i had too good great movie Mm -hmm. i encourage you guys that'll rewatch it if you haven't seen it in a while i think it might be might impress you (laughs) and Shout out to Kingdom Hearts 3. At least you had a Monsters, Inc. level, you know. And I will say, uh, if there's any show or movie or something you want us to check out on Disney+, Plus, I know John Stamos has a show about, like, girls' high school basketball that I really don't have any interest in watching, but if it's, like, absolutely mind-blowing or just, like, a really heartwarming story you think more people should check out, let us know, and uh, we'll watch it and tell you about it, just like I'm telling you right now to watch Superman and Lois on the CW, even though it's no way connected to Disney+. Plus, You should definitely watch that, because I feel like no one's talking about that show, and it's the, my favorite uh, live-action interpretation of Superman I've ever seen, so check it out. Tristan, 
I keep telling Tristan to watch it, and he's still <laughs> on like episode one. So. Yeah, I mean, look, it's taking me a while to get through it, Joe. But yeah. I did mention at the top of the show that I wanted to quickly talk about what I think is the best show on TV right now. And it's something that I recently watched a good amount of. Uh, I think it's a great interpretation of a character that I've cared about for a long time. I binged through all 11 episodes of this show in the course of about two days. <laughs> uh, despite the terrible quality of the CW app, I've made my way I, through... I have seen you bitching about the CW app <laughs> on Twitter. Worst app on the internet, you know? <laughs> I almost gave up on the show. I tried to rewind it because I was like, oh, that scene was cool. I'm going to watch it again. And I rewound it in a probably to like the last commercial break 15 minutes earlier. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to watch it <laughs> from here. Yeah, yeah I, I, tried, I tried to go back and rewatch uh, episodes of Whose Line because they're all on the CW app. And holy fucking shit, is that a pain. But you all guys right, before, definitely uh, got to watch Superman uh, and Lois. All right, I will talk to Tristan about Superman and Lois off air because this <laughs> is not a Superman and Lois recap show. But hey, if we get enough viewership, and maybe by season two of Superman and Lois, we will have a Superman and Lois recap show. And I will be very passionate to talk about that. So, Tristan, if you don't have anything else to add, I will wish <laughs> our viewers a good night or good afternoon or good morning or however, whatever time they're enjoying our content. Have a good one, guys. Watch Superman, Lois, watch Loki, watch Monsters at Work. <laughs> watch our show. Watch Movie Change Up. All right. Yeah, Wednesday, uh, we're doing another Forgotten Movies episode. It's me versus Bobby, and I have yet to start running my pitches, so I'm going to start on that tonight. I have kind of an idea of what I'm going to do with some of them, but uh, should be should be a fun time. Join, and join us Wednesday at 7 right here at twitch.tv slash moviechangeup.